Welcome back to Curiosity Killed the Rat. This is part two of our big special multi-part episode on coronavirus, or as we learnt last episode, COVID-19 or SARS-CoV-2, which is not the same thing as to just say coronavirus. We spent part one talking a little bit about these different types of coronaviruses and also a bit about the history behind SARS and MERS, which are the you know closest relatives to what we have and what we're experiencing today. Uh, but this this part of the episode, we're going to spend a little bit more time talking about this novel coronavirus and this disease that it causes, COVID-19. So Ellie, launch us into that. Hello, I'm back again. Uh, so basically, I'm sure unless you've been living under a rock, uh, you know that there is a global uh, pandemic of a virus. Mm, and um <laughs> everywhere if it's everywhere i'm scrolling it's so through everywhere. instagram facebook tiktok twitter anything i'm scrolling through it every mm-hmm. second or one and a half of the f- f- post is mm. about corona which is a it's, blessing and a disguise because like, it means that like your average joe you can be knowledgeable but there's a lot of sort of misinformation and false facts going around which we, we yes. will cover later um, but yeah, it's, it's yeah. saturated the media, which is annoying, yes. uh, which is why I'm having a Sims break this afternoon. After we finish recording, I am going to not do anything with this virus, but. <laughs> oh I yeah. I'm looking forward to just not thinking about this. Like I reading advice online about like how to stay sane while self-isolating. And it's like, number one, don't feel the nerd, don't feel the need to learn everything there is to know about coronavirus. And I was like but I'm literally recording a podcast on it. I need to learn everything there is to know. Uh, so I'm going oh, a bit insane. I'm you. looking forward to sort of, yeah, I should have just like, you know, released the control entirely to Not you. Sure. But I just, my brain doesn't work like that. I, I compulsively learn. And then on I'm the other end of things, I'm going to be spending the next 24 hours re-listening to everything we've talked about over and over <laughs> yeah, yeah. To, to, to get this release. You're going to be you the guys, most knowledgeable you, you, you at the, the end of this. You, you, you guys did all the pre-learning and I'm just like taking notes of your lectures and consolidating exactly. it. So, Marja Parish. Exactly. But, <laughs> reaping yeah. the fruits of your labour. <laughs> but yeah, like the reason why we're here is is because of this, this outbreak. And I guess, um, uh, I mean, we, we're all aware of it, but um, to reiterate, it's... Um, <laughs> excuse me, Kate. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> I, Sorry, I appreciated I, you I coughing into yeah, your you elbow guys were, there. Was, I was going to say, you guys would have seen I coughed into my elbow. Our listeners couldn't see that. You always got to do. Whenever, you, you know, hands. the way I like to remember it, the, the best way, the most hygienic way to sneeze or cough is to dab while you're doing uh, it. You're supposed <laughs> to stay until your elbow. You're so the worst human I'm ever. so glad that this is not like yes, a YouTube but podcast. it works. Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. One day we'll release yeah, a video episode and I'll dab on screen and it'll be hilarious and great and it'll never get old. I will retract my... And the meme definitely isn't Humor. already long dead. <laughs> anyway, stop getting distracted. <laughs> distracted. All right, so in December 2019, um, a couple of people got sick with atypical pneumonia. I guess, I don't know if I need to define atypical. Um, it's just not typical. But anyway, atypical pneumonia mm. after visiting a seafood wholesale wet market in Wuhan, uh, which sells mm-hmm. uh, wild animals, uh I'm not sure if it's meant to sell wild animals, but anyway, it sells animals, non-aquatic animals, aquatic animals, and food consumption. So there were Mm -hmm. 27 pneumonia cases that came out of this in December. Um, And Mm -hmm. on the January the 9th, uh, the Chinese government announced that a novel beta coronavirus, um, the same subtype of SARS and MERS, was the causative agent. Mm -hmm. So that was great. Mm. The next day, the genome sequence was announced and published, which is just crazy. That was up at UQ too, wasn't it? The next day. It was the next day. Yeah, like the next day. Because I think they they were sending samples out and, um, yeah, because they weren't hiding it. You know, that's the thing. It was um, they weren't as reticent in sharing the information. Mm, They were actually. like, help. That that, that on its own is actually quite interesting compared to what – I heard as this stuff was starting to break out at the beginning of the year, I heard a lot of um, 
condemnation no. of the Chinese government and how they were tackling the situation and that they were doing horrible things and quarantining really badly and keeping it secret and mismanaging and doing all this sort of stuff. Maybe within their own population it wasn't. But how do you, you can't like spread information if you don't know what's going on. You know, in the beginning it was just shit, people are sick and it's spreading crap, what do we do? Um, it's not really yeah. until you get these causative agents, genomic sequences, and you start learning all the epidemiological traits like incubation periods, reproductive numbers and stuff like that, that you can start telling people anything. Because unless you know all that, it's just shit, mm, people are that's sick. That's true. Let's make them not be sick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that, I know it's a pretty quick turnaround if the first case was like early November and then two months later they've got, you know, Mm. January. So it was pretty good. So that genome analysis suggested that the virus originated from a bat into an intermediate host, which we now know later on. So I took a lot of these notes like months ago. Um, but the um, intermediate host now is, mm. well, I mean, it's strongly suggested to be pangolins. Like they could do more study, but. Yeah, I was going to say, do we know that? Because I've, I've heard on one hand that that's definite. And then I've heard on another hand that like, it's only because we found a version of the yeah, virus yeah, that's you're like 96% like that. you're the same um, genetically as ours. They could probably spend more money and more time doing these genomic analyses, but uh, what what's the point? Um, we know the causative agent. Yeah, I guess that's not the best use of resources at the moment when we don't have a vaccine, no. we don't have a treatment. The, the time and energy exactly. is probably better And there's spent. only so much more yeah, you no, can gain from knowing exactly what animal it came through. If you know... I mean, at the end of the day, the best thing you need to know for vaccines is the immune response to it. And that's not necessarily something that you need 100% mm. genomic analysis for. So, um, but yeah, they suggested, mm. you know, it originated from the bat and now we know it's a really similar one that came out of bats for um, SARS. So that's cool. Mm. I mean, it's not cool, it's terrible. Um, the n numbers of infected cool, and cool, dead cool, 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 have, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> yeah, no really, doubt, really no cool. Doubt. No doubt, no doubt. Um <laughs> The numbers of infected and dead have continued to grow since then. Um, so I've got a really cool, I took notes on February 2nd, there were 14,628 confirmed cases, oh. 305 total deaths. Is that um, globally and or just in China? That was globally. In China, that was 14,451 mainland China. So of okay. 14628, there was 14451. Mainland so most China. of it was in China, but it had started to spread a bit at that point. So in terms of um, increasing infection rates, so because I've been keeping track of this from the beginning because I'm a nerd and I have nothing better to do with my time. <laughs> on Look, I uh, wasn't going to call 2nd, you out, but... Yeah, thank you. It's true. I will never hide it. On um, Feb 2nd, there were 14,628 cases confirmed with 14,451 of those on mainland China. Right, so yep. the most in China, but it did still spread. Uh, there were 305 yeah. total deaths, 305 mm -hmm. deaths. One of those was outside of China. So that was on February okay. 2nd. So we're mm -hmm. the 20th of March now. I'm looking at mm -hmm. the World Health Organization Coronavirus Situation Report number 59 as of the mm -hmm. 19th of March. Globally, there are 209,839 confirmed cases. Um, so that's 16,500 more than the day before, which is scary. Um, 8,700 and a large number in a day. Yeah. 8,778 deaths, um, 878 deaths in the last 24 hours. So if we just quickly go back to SARS, SARS had a maximum of 8,000 cases, I think, was around 8,000. Oh. And we've had 8,700 deaths <laughs> oh. of this one. Oh. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. And, ho, 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 yeah. Ho. Right. Ho, yeah. He, he. Ha. So he. there's a lot of it. There's a lot of mm, ronies hoopily, going hoopily. around, mate. A lot of, lot of ronies in the, in the air. Um, not that it's airborne, but anyway, thought I'd just clarify. A lot of, uh, lot yeah, of so ronies in the droplets. A lot of ronas. doesn't have the same sort of ring to it, does it? Oh, boy. No. Why am I going to make this rona any better? No. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I'll be here all week. Um, <laughs> well, we are, aren't we all in isolation? We <laughs> are. We should be here all week. for the next four <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah, so that's a lot of cases. So that's um, a lot of cases and a lot of deaths. Okay. Um, I see a lot of stuff about uh, case fatality rate, which is, you know, like the percentage of the sick people that are dying. And um, I just want to say up front that it's very difficult to calculate those things in the middle of an outbreak. 
Same with like the reproductive number, which is the amount of secondary infections that come from a primary infection. What's the difference um, between usually a those... secondary and primary infection? Sorry. Oh, so so um, say if I got it, yeah, who I would give it to? Um, even if I got it from someone else, um, mm-hmm. if we're talking about my infectious pathway, mm-hmm. I'm like a secondary infection to Joe Blow before me, but the people that I infect are my secondary right. infection. Okay, sure. Um, but it's more just, yeah, so the reproductive number is um, how many people does an infected person infect in a naive population, so there's no vaccine, so right. this is a naive population. So you see a lot of those calculations uh, now, but you, you just straight up can't do that. We don't have the information. We don't have the amount of asymptomatic people. We're not going to know that until this thing's over. Um, there's some really classic we studied last year in an infectious diseases modeling course, um, a paper that was published about SARS in 2003, and they calculated all these things at the end of 2003. And then a year later, they updated the paper uh, because they were still getting all the data. So you can't calculate a case fatality rate. You can calculate a case fatality rate up to this point, considering this amount of people are sick and this many people have died. But that's just that situation. That's not the case fatality rate of this So a lot of the figures we're seeing at the moment are kind of our best guesstimates from the data that we have, that we have available. Absolutely. But I would suggest that they're not correct because we're obviously seeing evidence now mm. of asymptomatic cases. So if we're taking the deaths out of the confirmed mm. cases, but there are all these asymptomatic cases that aren't being tested, then it's not accurate. Is a um asymptomatic case, is that just when they're within that two-week period where symptoms haven't started to show yet? Or are those people who have had it, they've had it for longer than that, and mm. they're just people who have it without showing any symptoms, and that's just how they're going to be? Both. Yeah. So there's, because there is transmission in the incubation period, so the incubation period is the time from um, uh, infection establishing in the body, because you can have be uh, exposed mm. and then the infection might take an hour or so to like get to the relevant tissues that it needs to infect. Um, but from the establishment of infection until um, symptoms is, yeah, the incubation period. But because this was such a mild disease, some people aren't even thinking they have symptoms when they do. So we're calling them asymptomatic okay. cases as well. Right. Just because, yeah, that they're, they're, they're asymptomatic in that, they don't think they have mm. it because they might just have a sore throat for a day, yeah. but they have it. And just like you touched on there yeah. as well, Kate, a lot of symptomatic cases that aren't being tested or confirmed, uh, due to my understanding of it, Australia um, can't speak for other countries, but with Australia, we've got a limited number of COVID-19 yeah. tests and we're saving them for people who are more likely to have a fatal reaction to the disease. So that being elderly people, yeah. people with um, various... Um, respiratory illnesses or history and at cancer patients, cancer, asthmatics. Diabetes. And healthcare workers as well. We're testing healthcare all the healthcare workers. workers. Yeah, yeah, true. That yeah. makes sense. It's similar. It's similar mm. in other Western countries. The US as well is struggling with um, caseload and testing mm. availability. Test I've got a friend who is a GP and he was saying that he has tested one person and it came back negative, but there are other people that he wished he could have tested. He thinks maybe but they didn't have that travel history, but, you know, they work in Chadston's shopping centre or something, which right. is a big shopping centre for anyone, not in Melbourne. Like, like this is yeah. the thing that just, it, it, it frustrates me because, like, I mean, I'm following all the recommendations. I'm, go- I'm going along with the assumption that let's say I have it and therefore I can infect other people and therefore I'm self-isolating. But by the official, you know, I haven't been in contact with someone that's been overseas or someone that was able to be tested. Um, But I have been in contact with someone who was symptomatic, who also they wouldn't test because of this test shortage. So like from what I, from my position, I can, I can see a very clear, like, you know, community Mm. spread that we're just not, recording and we're not measuring and therefore yeah. not reporting on. And that, that is a big issue. The um, official thing um, from Scott Morrison's press release from a couple of days ago, 
Um, it was specifically referring to people who legally aren't permitted to enter aged care facilities, but I feel it's implicit that these sorts of people are the kind that are encouraged to self-isolate as well. And the criteria is those who have returned from overseas, those who have been in contact with someone with a confirmed case, also those with fever or symptoms of an acute respiratory infection. So those who are displaying symptoms, I assume that means. Mm. And yeah. those also haven't been vaccinated against influenza after May 1st. Now he said May 1st in the press conference, but I don't know if that's referring to 2019 or we've got until May 1st to vaccinate this year and then. I think I it's uh, until this year, yeah. Oh, until yeah. this year? No, I think, it's a- this, uh, I think it's this year because last year's vaccines... Oh, right. they'd be anyway, all and it's not relevant. To, yeah. yeah, pretty much. Mm. Um, I'm curious the um the testing kits the, what actually goes into a coronavirus test? How do you test for coronavirus, and why is it limited? Why why do we have yes. a shortage? So as far as I'm aware, I haven't seen one. Um, but the uh, what they were doing is they were using two swabs, so they were swabbing the. Um, uh, throat, which apparently for people who've had it done, it's like quite uncomfortable. They've got to get pretty far oh, down the throat to swab that. the I've throat. Got the worst gag reflex. Dentist, <laughs> dentist x-rays are yeah. the worst where they put that piece of plastic like right up the back of your mouth. That, that kills me. I, <laughs> yeah. I just, yeah, oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, what's, what's the other part of the testing? <laughs> <laughs> no. So, yes, yeah, so they were originally, yeah. It's so a nose swab what they were well, doing is it? the kits were coming with, two swab sticks so they were doing one for throat one for nose but now they're running out so they're just doing one for nose and throat so you hope they go the throat Mm. first not the nose first gross um (laughs) because it doesn't really it doesn't really matter we don't Mm. need to differentiate really where the virus come from whether it's the nose or or the throat we know it's going to be is there or not yeah so they were using the two little swabby sticks um, and then they pop them in like a little sealed tubey tube and it goes off to the testing facility. I think it uses PCR. I am going to verify that. It does, that. yeah. That's, it's I, PCR, yeah. It's PCR because I think a lot of the shortage at one stage I read, or in America at least, um, was about the primers, that there was actually a shortage. Yeah. I'm sorry, the, what is PCR? The primers, the primers. So, for, yeah, I know. I was going to say, so for the non-science scientists, actually, you could probably explain it better than me. Oh, I haven't done it for ages. We can go together. So PCR stands for polymerase chain reaction, and it basically is a way to um, amplify DNA and... Um, oh, and RNA. Yeah. So, like, so, yeah. you know, if you're, if you're looking for the virus, the virus has a certain you know, it's got RNA in it, which is just mm. essentially one-stranded one DNA, essentially. Um, and it's a genetic code. And so what PCR does is you set your, what are called your primers with, with a known genetic sequence. And so it can bind to the target, um, you know, RNA or DNA that you're looking for. And once it binds and finds its target, it's able to replicate and replicate and replicate until eventually your target one has replicated so much that any other DNA is kind of, uh, okay. you don't it's see gone. it as much. So, yeah, so you're just able so you to see. So you isolate that DNA and sure. then yeah. you can, yeah, you can test it. And then what, you can quantify to... whether something's there or not. I don't know if that was a probably a really poor, uh, just if you want to understand the science and the nitty gritty of, of um, PCR, there's some good YouTube videos um, that definitely explain it better than I just did, but. Uh, I remember you learning like it in paragraph. like first year bio. We'll link a couple in the description of this video if people yeah, want to do yeah, some yeah. more reading I'll, on the I'll actual testing yeah. process. But the basics of it is is it, it uses these primers or known strands to amplify a target strand. So if mm. if I mm-hmm. don't have coronavirus and I have my saliva, my sputum or whatever tested with this PCR, you shouldn't see any amplification against those target primers because mm. I don't have it. Whereas if you do have it, you'll see this amplification right. and you'll see lots of these little virus genome mm. strands because we're looking for it and we want to replicate it so many times that we have this high concentration of it and then whatever else is in there is gone. That's pretty much it, isn't it? So what aspect of this um, testing process mm. do we have the shortage of and how can we not? So the, the primers. So we... 
when okay. they um, isolated the genomic sequence of coronavirus, they chose a little portion of that sequence to be the primer. Um, and then yep. you have to engineer those. So you have to basically stick those little nucleotide bases so together. in a lab. Yeah. Made from so okay. The engineers, yeah, because yeah. like scientists have figured yeah. out, scientists have figured out the genetic code that they want, and so they're engineered to match right. the genetic code. And because it's of not like a um, the virus. naturally well, recurring not, resource yes, or so anything to like bind that. with it. No, it's primers have to be engineered. Supplies, because I imagine the, the facilities. Mm. Mm-hmm. That there aren't really the facilities set up to mass produce this, right? There are, but it mm. takes a while. Well, I know we got an email from, so through the University of Melbourne, some of the the research institutes, because I'm part of a couple of different mailing lists for a few of the different ones connected to Melbourne Uni. And we we got emails being like, if you guys have any of these materials that might be helped, like helpful in making tests for COVID-19, like, Mm. can you please donate them? Um, so like with universities, especially like the, the, what is it? Group of eight. So like Melbourne university, UWA, Sydney uni, UQ, I'm going to forget some of them and I'm going to get in trouble. Sorry for those of you that I forgot, but, um, it's the, it's the big eight universities in Australia and they're trying to really pull resources, um, to try tackle this problem and to make more tests. But like at the end of the day, you know, with increasing restrictions about yeah. how many people can go to work yeah. and all of that. And, and you hope it's, that it, it's hard hope that to They'll be developing the, new tests yeah. as well. I mean, I think antibody testing is something that they're looking at at the mm. moment where basically they will engineer or isolate antibodies that react to the coronavirus and you can do testing that way. So I think, yeah. but again, there's still resources and it's still, you're still relying mm. on, um, chains of delivery and, and people working in factories. So, yeah, so the, mm. the test... Um, and everything's just escalated so quickly. There's 209,000 you know. fucking cases. Yeah. Like, it's a lot. There's, yeah. There's a lot of people. It's intense. And spread out as well over many countries as well. It's, um, yeah, it's definitely... And it takes a while for these um, production chains mm. as well to catch up. I think they'll, they'll catch up eventually. And, and what we're, we're mm. in the part of the pandemic where nobody knows really what's going on and everything's on fire and it eventually will calm down. Like it's, it's, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it's not going to go away because, you know, I don't like it when people say, Oh, it's just going to be a season. I think I honestly personally not affiliated to any university or whatever that I've been linked to. I do think that this is something that is going to stay. I've seen an article that says it's, cold flu and coronavirus season. So I think that that's probably the future that we're looking at. Um, Obviously, as we get Mm. further into knowing more about this virus, we'll have better ways to treat it, better Mm. ways to prevent it. We'll develop a vaccine like the flu. Mm. But, yeah, when I mean it's going to calm down, I Mm. mean the panic and all of this hysteria and no one has anything. That will will calm down. But hopefully it'll calm down to a sort of... um, I hope. More, more, more of a um, normalization rather than a forgetting about it sort of thing. It's not going to be like we ignore it and yeah, then it, it loses it'll momentum. Be... Hopefully, it's a case of this is no. just a general risk that we need to worry about. Like people understand about skin cancer, yeah, and we sh- people understand we sh- about road exactly. safety. Exactly the flu. Yeah, yeah we shouldn't mm. definitely not forget about it because the more we forget about it, ignore it, the worse. Like it'll happen because we, you yeah. know, we're not on top of it yet. So we do need to be to be careful with it. But um, where were we? That was testing. Um, Shortage of yeah. testing. Um, I've got a, a, yes. a point to potentially talk about unless you had something already yes. lined up. Um, no, no, no. Rolling off the idea of um, people not being able to go to work and that sort of thing. I think that's going to be a really, a really, a really big thing that, that that's coming up. Um, so the, the steps that the government has taken in terms of trying to enforce this um, social distancing and all that sort of stuff. So... As of a couple of days ago, there is a ban on non-essential gatherings of 100 people if it's indoors, 500 yep. people if it's outdoors, and that can be legally enforced. That's not an advice thing. That is mm-hmm. the police will come and shut it down. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. the, mm-hmm. In terms, another um, big one, I think, is the idea of closing of schools. Um, mm. So the Prime Minister's mm. most recent thing on this is that he's not going to be closing the schools. The schools aren't going to be closed down. Um, the reason, unless there's a no, I think case? it's it's just that, or... 
Was that the caveat or is that, that just in Victoria? Just in Victoria. Maybe that was just a Victorian um, thing. It might be up to the discretion of the school, but the government yeah, okay, isn't going maybe. to enforce it. So what Scott Morrison said on it, um, right. I'll, I'll quote him. Um, yes, please. There is a national public interest here in keeping schools open and our advice is that it is not being done to the detriment at the health of any child. His reason for not wanting to close the schools is because it could potentially affect about... 30% of all medical and healthcare staff because if schools close down and kids have to get stayed at home, parents need to stay at home to look after the kids. And a lot yeah. of those parents are medical staff and that will make those medical staff unavailable for actually treating um, Absolutely. coronavirus and that sort of thing as well. And he has also, along with um, Dr. Brendan Murphy or Professor Brendan Murphy, who's the chief medical mm. officer of the government, saying that any sort of measures that are being taken, so things like the travel ban advice and the non-essential gatherings, and if we were to close the schools, would have to be in place for at least six months. And the government's current stance is closing it for at least six months would be too detrimental. Um, so mm. that's, as far as my understanding goes, what the government's doing See, and their I justification for it. So I, I, I would like to know your thoughts. See, I have many. I have multiple. Mm. I have some, like pure speculation that I'm going to jut in before you come in with the like <laughs> science. But I've seen a lot of like, surely, surely healthcare professionals that have children that need looking after, like there are other solutions here. We have lots of people that are out of work, like people who are in the arts, people who are in the customer service industry, like in, in, in these things that are, these businesses and these careers that are shut down because of, you know, university students that can't do the sort of course that they do can't be online because it's a very practical based type course. Um, and like medical students, I know a lot of medical students are being told to stay out of the hospitals at the moment. Um, and they've all got their, you know, blue card and police, like police check. And I, I've seen a lot of people that fall into these categories yeah. like offering their services, like as, mm. you know, babysitters and child mm. carers and, you know, medical students there to be like, t you know, homeschool teachers and whatever. And like, there are a lot of people that are affected that, that, you know, are qualified and safe and, and good to, you know, fill this role of looking yeah. after the children that are affected by that. And, like, the I don't know, the whole thing about we'll just, you know, I don't know, it just feels, it feels like there are solutions that we're just choosing mm. to not I I agree. If, look at, if it were to happen, I so I have, I have many thoughts about, I have very conflicting thoughts about it too, but just to touch on your point, I think that that could mm. be a good solution. Obviously there would be some parents that would be like, I don't want strangers near my kids, but you know, a teacher is essentially a stranger until you know them. Um, I think that could be, that mm, could be a good exactly. workaround. I have really conflicting thoughts about the school closure thing. And I think it stems from like fact and feeling as well. So like the fact is mm -hmm. that children aren't, categorically getting as sick as everyone else um they seem to be having very mild symptoms none at all uh or just as completely asymptomatic um there's been a couple of severe cases i don't think to this date there has been a recorded death of anyone under 19 years old i will fact check that i think there's the, I looked this morning, I looked this up, there's now there been one? one in the under oh, 10 category under 10. and one 14-year-old or something. So two two is under 19. globally or in Australia? That's globally. globally. That's, okay. yeah. Globally. That's globally. Um, okay, so, yeah, so still very minimal. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but still it's very yeah. minimal compared yeah. to so, what we're seeing in the so old then, age. So a part of sure. me goes, well, I mean, if they're not going to infect each other and get each other deadly sick, mm. at least if... There, I mean, there's been all these studies as well, as well about coronavirus anxiety in children as well. If there's some semblance of normality and if they're all in the mm. same place, uh, I see on one hand how that that works. You know, they're not getting as sick. They're all together. There's a sense of normalcy. They can continue their educations. I get that. Mm. I also, on the other hand, mm. am like, it's not like when those kids get home from school, they're not doing it. Like they're are they never allowed to touch their grandparents again? Are they never allowed to touch mm. their mum who's in remission from breast cancer again? You know what I mean? So I think... And, like, what about teachers? Yeah, well, that's that, <laughs> like, that's another thing. If the schools get closed down as well, that means a lot of those teachers and stuff will be out of work as well, and then that's just another class of people, another sector of the workforce yeah, that exactly. is now 
without job mm. as so many are yeah not every teacher will necessarily sign up for that though it's oh yeah. no i know but i'm saying like there are still there are solutions like the yeah. problem creates solutions for itself as well as creating the problem yeah so i think there was i don't know i i originally when mm. this first was happening was like you know shut the schools shut the universities for two weeks blah 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 but then as i've learned more and we've been in the outbreak longer this isn't something that is going to go mm. away in two weeks mm. we're doing these two to three week isolations to flatten the curve, which I'll talk about later, um, not to get rid of the disease. Uh, so if like, as, um, Scotty from marketing says, it'll be for six yeah. months. Like that's a heckin' chunky long time yeah. for universities and schools. Especially and- people like in year 11 or year 12 now who are like trying to get on their ATAR and stuff. How does that affect their university entries and stuff yeah. like that? That's a big impact. Mm. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, there's going to be there's going to be really long lasting impacts from this uh, that we're not even seeing the beginning of yet, mm. but I just, yeah, I'm, I'm still in two minds about it. I think it'll be interesting to see what happens sort of by the end of April yeah. um, with flattening the curve, with reducing the, the spread of this. Um, but yeah, I, I agree in terms of keeping normalcy and, yeah. and yeah, keeping the, mm. the, medical and education system running because it was, yeah, I'm not sure what the statistics are in Australia, but I just, because I listened to a podcast last night, 38% of nurses in America have primary school age children. So you can't leave primary school kids at home. You can leave a 16-year-old year year 10 student at home on their own. You can't leave a seven-year-old at home on their own. So that's 38% of the US nursing force that would be out of the hospitals um, that's on top of whatever medicos are sick and have to be at home. So I think, but I think people are just fixating on that side of it when it's very multifaceted. We're not keeping the schools open just to protect the hospital staff. It's, you know, yeah. kids Kids are notoriously difficult to control as well. Mm. Like telling a kid that they have to be not in school for six months, but they also can't go kind to the like skate park, they can't months, go to the shopping know. centre, they can't go to can't the movies. Like that's friends. really, really negative. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's really difficult to explain to a six-year-old. My friend is a prep teacher and she just said it's really hard to explain to them, but you can tell that it's like, they're aware of it and it's affecting them. And, you know, she, at least if they're all together, then they, there's that sense of morale and camaraderie mm-hmm. and they can just play like kids in school. So it's, um again, it's that, like I said yeah. last episode, it's that sort of straddling of this line, this public health line of, of, of do we take away everyone's civil liberties and take the oxygen out of this fire or do we let it back burn a little bit and let people have a little bit more social freedom. So, yeah. Because yeah. even from looking at it from a completely scientific mm. standpoint, the disease is more than just the disease itself. As Kanye put, we do live in a society. So the psychological <laughs> and sociological impacts do need to be <laughs> yeah. considered as well. So I hadn't even considered the term. idea of the, yeah, the nor- mm. no- normalcy. I, I'm not sure how to normalcy, say it. But yeah. of, of chil- normality. Normalcy yeah. of children um, and that, that sort of thing normalcy. is... Definitely something to bear in mind. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'll acknowledge yeah. I didn't I didn't think of the kids. Uh I only did because my <laughs> friends are prep teacher now. So I was like, oh small too. So would you then say like all yeah. kind of yeah. politics and political opinions aside and that sort of thing, from a purely scientific standpoint, from both of your opinions as scientists, having the schools stay open mm. for now, as far as the information we have. Mm. Not the worst thing? I think uh, it's it's, you can't not you can't just look at it from a scientific perspective. There's economic perspective. There's psychological perspective. But yeah, I think at this stage, factors. I think with what we know on the twentieth of March, two thousand and twenty, in Melbourne, Victoria, and wherever you are in WA, Matt. I'm sorry. Perth. Um, Perth <laughs> thank you. I think that I mean they wouldn't. The thing is, is it's little children and Scott Morrison has children. And I think if there was any risk of it being a devastating thing for the population of children, that they would close the schools. I don't think that whatever politics I disagree with, I don't think that the current government are totally anti-emotional psychopaths that Mm. would want to put schools and young children at risk just so that their nurses can treat their sick parents. I don't think that that's why the schools are open. I think that it's a very complicated, calculated, you know, highly calculated. I mean, he's, the government's getting information from everybody. 
So I think it's um, – and it is controversial because you're seeing lots of closures mm. in other places where um, the virus has slowed down, but we're not – you can't compare Australia with our population and our social structure and our landmass to somewhere like South Korea. You can't do that. You can't make those comparisons. So, yeah, I think for the moment it's not easy, but I think keeping them open is the best thing for now. Mm, Okay. But I'm going to bite my tongue in three weeks if it's like, children are the reason that everyone over 65 (laughs) died in 2020. You know what I mean? Like, it's tough because we also still don't know the extent of what is happening in the mm. children's immune systems. You know, we're only just starting to test immune function in adults. So it's, um, we still don't really know. You don't know if there's going to be secondary well, things. Like my biggest concern with the whole thing is that like, especially in Australia, like we're not testing children. So we don't know that they're not like as infected as. There's so much we still don't know. That's don't the know. thing. It's just. It's, yeah. we're, I think we're doing very what conf- we can with know. the resources we yeah, have. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's such and a And not making strict decisions. Obviously, <sighs> if the evidence yeah. showed that the best thing to do is shut the universities, shut the schools, shut the pubs, shut the cafes, just keep your supermarkets and your pharmacies and your post offices open, I feel mm. like we would do it. But as I've said before, and I'll probably mm-hmm. say later, I don't know if something like that would work in a country like Australia. And I don't think it's necessary yet. I say the yet because, you know, I keep on harping on in personal conversations, not even just this podcast, that we need to be proactive, not reactive. But we, you can't predict what's going to happen. So at some point you have to be reactive. It's like um, like police officers. Police officers have to be reactive. You can't just arrest someone because you think they're going to commit a crime. Mm. You can only arrest them after they've committed the crime. We can't know whether it was the right thing to close the schools or not until we know whether it was the right thing to close the schools or not. So, yeah, yeah it's tough. And I think people are just happy to pick on things and, and you know, I'm, I'm sure people listening can gather my, where my political opinions lie. But mm. um, I think that, you know, in terms of the schools, it's a very complicated situation and um, they are doing the best that they can with the very limited information they have. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Um, I want to, I want to just, before we <laughs> run out of time again, I want to like yeah. steer us a little bit away from the politics before we all just get too exacerbated. And I want to actually know. Before I scream. Yeah. <laughs> before I throw something at my microphone and yeah, things go badly. Like I want to know some more about the actual, like, I know, I know that you're, you're not an immunologist, um, but I want to know. So we like we alluded to it a bit before that you know this virus it's an RNA virus yeah. it's got this corona halo but like what do we know about like how it actually infects the body and like so from my understanding right it's the sort of virus that it it gets into our cells it hijacks our cells machinery so like you know our ribosomes yeah. and our our DNA making machinery um, and it uses those to, to, to multiply itself and take oh, over everything and <laughs> slaughter you and whatever. But, yeah. like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Talk, talk me through more than that because that's, that's a very basic sort Absolutely. of yeah. so, level so of understanding. For anyone that um, doesn't have any background in virology, basically a virus isn't alive. It is a string of genetic code in a shell, which we call a capsid, and then mm-hmm. some viruses outside that capsid have this envelope which has proteins on it, and some viruses don't have this envelope. So what we're dealing with, this SARS-CoV-2, is an enveloped virus. Um, Now, an enveloped virus is a double-edged sword. Basically, um, it means that it is easy to evade the immune system because the envelope is derived from the host cell's membranes. So whenever the first virus got into the first human host, it entered the cell when it replicated and budded out of the cell, it took some of the host cell membrane with it and that's how it can evade mm. the immune system. But in saying that, because it has an envelope, envelope viruses are actually easier to destroy because once you break open the envelope, you essentially start the degradation process of the virus, pretty sure. Mm-hmm. So that means things like soap, 60%, alcohol, hand sanitizers, heat mm. and things like that um, are actually uh able to penetrate this envelope better because just think of it it's just a phospholipid bilayer it's just you know um 
hydrophobic and hydrophilic yeah, heads. Yeah, which is really Because cool. it's made out of essentially a, a mix. It's a human human cell membrane. A fatty it's layer. It's a fatty layer. Such, and, you know, detergents right? break so down fat. And, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah like that's what I was going to say. That's literally what exactly. soap was invented yeah. for. Like soap was invented with its, like, polar head and, and little exactly. tail to, to bind with oils and fats and, and, and lipids, break them apart. Know? Exactly. And, and to, you know, pull them into the water. And that's, that's why, yeah. Why soap is yeah. just like so. So washing hands is good for two good. reasons. I just thought of this yeah. off the top of my head. Would I, um, would an alcoholic mouthwash help? Oh, uh, you'd have to literally. Is it above 60%? Yeah. It'd have to be above 60%. Okay. And I don't think your Listerines and any of that are above 60% alcohol. No. It'd be like licking an alcohol okay. swab. I don't think so. Um, good All idea. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Just drink methylated spirits. You'll be fine. Nice thought. No one drink methylated spirits. I should don't be do right. it. <laughs> don't do, do that. Do not. <laughs> this podcast does not advocate the drinking of methylated Vodka, spirits. Vodka, on the other hand, no. drink a shit ton of that stuff. Um, yeah. Not for coronavirus, good. just Just for in fun. general. Just that's uh. my Thursday night. Um, yeah, so anyway, this envelope aids in um, binding the envelope of the virus and the proteins on the outside um, bind to the human cells and it causes the envelopes to fuse. It injects the... Uh, genetic code, the RNA, into the cell. And as you said, Kate, it hijacks the cell's um, machinery to replicate um, en masse this genetic code. And then the genetic code and the capsid that gets built butt out of the cell, take envelope with it and keep going. So that's that's basically the viral, a very basic viral infection pathway. Now, the cool and scary thing about coronavirus and why it's more of a lower respiratory infection than an upper respiratory infection, so this one, SARS and MERS, compared to the circulating coronaviruses, is in order to get into a cell, the virus has to bind to uh, a protein or a receptor on the human cell surface. Now, what's bad about SARS is um, SARS and this COV, SARS-CoV-2, bind to a receptor called ACE2, um, which is a receptor found um, in significant uh, concentrations in the lungs and also in the gastrointestinal tract, which is why there have been some cases of some gastrointestinal issues with, with yeah. SARS and um, SARS-CoV-2. So, um, yeah, so that's that's how it gets into the lower lungs. Other circulating coronaviruses don't bind to ACE2, um, so they don't get into the lower lungs, but but this one does. So this particular, um, this particular um, ACE2, yep. this particular receptor, pretty common in the lungs. So the reason coronavirus, or sorry, COVID-19 um, is so dangerous is because there's such a high concentration of this receptor in the lungs, go straight for it. Fucks your shit yeah, up. Yeah, basically. R.I.P. Absolutely. Lungs. So what it does is it once it infects those cells in the lungs, it causes damage in the lungs, um, which allows for secondary bacterial pneumonias. So that's that's the kicker. So right. it damages so it, the it, cells. It causes damages your lungs, which makes you more prone to other sicknesses. Exactly. Kind of like uh, different from autoimmune disease, but ki- kind of like AIDS in the sense of that breaks down your immune system. Yeah, more yeah. Stuff like a common cold and a flu can now well, kill you. Well, because like HIV, right? What that that binds to isn't it helper T cells or something? Um, yeah, yeah. Which so is like it, part of your immune system, and it literally kills your immune cells directly, and that that's what causes AIDS. Whereas this one, yeah, it's just your, it's not, your ACE2s. It's not directly targeting your yeah, but it's targeting your. It's just kind of localized to the lungs and sometimes yeah. the gastro system as well, right? We've kind of covered how the Australian government specifically has tackled it more in the community. I haven't talked at all about the travel ban. So essentially what the travel ban is, unlike the um, gatherings of 100 or 500, it's not like a legally enforced thing yet. We haven't shut down airports. It's Mm -hmm. an advice. It's technically um, travel ban advice. And now it's at level four. So level four is the highest Australia has ever seen. So level one, the advice is exercise normal safety precautions. Level two, exercise a high degree of caution. Level three is reconsider your need to travel. Mm-hmm. So for like most people who are just going on holiday, like uh, maybe not, but if it's for business, then you know you got to do what you got to do. Level four is just straight up don't travel. If you have, if you need it to go somewhere, just just don't. Mm. Just straight up don't. So they're not enforcing it, but it's yeah. like, like fam, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. 
you know, so very, very high, strongly, strongly political advice, travel ban advice, level four. Do not travel overseas at all. If any Australians are overseas, um, they're advised to come home mm. as soon as possible. And then they're required home. to self-isolate for um, 14, 14 days. days yeah. um, and then they would get um, priority testing, I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, yeah, you can get tested. Oh, good, I didn't know that. I, I don't. Tested if I don't. You, if you've come I don't in know from for overseas. sure. Yeah, you can if you. Yeah, that that's within the category of people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, so from from an good. epidemiological that is not how you say that word uh, <laughs> perspective. It is. It's close. I tried. Um, like, is is this the right <laughs> move? Should we be calling all Australians home, not letting anyone travel? You know, not not letting anyone leave the country. Um, or is it like, is it already um, spread? Like it's already here, right? Like, yeah, I mean, it's already here, but if you can stop new people bringing it yeah. in, yeah. you might say, say if there's no cases in Woolamaloo mm-hmm. in Queensland or whatever, and then someone comes home mm-hmm. from Japan to Woolamaloo or some traveler decides to visit central mm-hmm. Australia and there's been no mm-hmm. cases there. Like we know that the cases are coming from overseas. We know that imported cases are coming. We don't know that every imported case is going to lead to community mm-hmm. transmission. We don't know that, but we know that cases are coming from overseas. I think, you know, if we were going to live in like a perfect scientific world, um, just no one travels anywhere. Everyone stay where you are. Um, but that's not realistic. So um, I've got friends in Japan at the moment, actually, Same. and they're, like, struggling to get flights home because people are just can't. Mm. Um, Qantas is yeah. cancelling yeah. their flights, obviously. There's no one on them. Um, I'm looking to get over for work-related purposes um, to Europe once this settles down a little bit, and I think I am going to struggle to get flights mm. myself. I'm going to have to go when the flights are, not when it's convenient for me. Um but, yeah, I think obviously you've got to have protect your people, protect your, your country. So letting your own people back into the country. But even then, mm. they're bringing yeah. it too. So, um, you know, if if we could just shut every border, and I'm not saying that this is right at all and this is a gross hyperbole, but no one travels anywhere ever, stay where you are, it's probably a good way. But at this point, there's just so much of it around that, um, you know, as long as we're closing borders to everyone, you know, it'd be really shit if we were just closing borders to yeah. China mm, and Japan mm. and Iran because that's racist and awful. Even though they do have cases, it's still... Which is kind of what know, it was for a while, right? It was for a while, yeah. And then and then they just realised that p- traffic in airports mm, yeah. is just bad as well. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like I don't people, know enough you know, about finding loopholes what by it coming involves to... Third country or whatever intermediary country because they just walk into exactly and it's like you know yeah where did you fly in from oh your plane came from mm. this country you're fine even if they went via you're fine you've yeah. been in Italy for six months yeah um, yeah I think it's I mean sort of at this point especially in Australia now we're over are we over five hundred oh, cases I yet had a information on this just before I'll see if I can. I'll oh. see if I can find a Yeah. Um, also just while I we're like memorize off, it from the while we're not surveillance report in a tangent, just we need to talk about yeah. the concept of flattening the curve. Like what does that mean? I don't think yes. we've talked about that yes. yet. Yeah, you've said that you're gonna talk about that later a couple of times. We oh, haven't yeah. actually um But yeah, do you wanna yeah, find okay. Australia? We've got um seven hundred and nine confirmed cases. Whoa, that has escalated since Sheet I last brick. That was So that's 307 in New South Wales, 150 in Victoria, 144 in Queensland, 42 in South Australia, and 52 in Western Australia, 10 in Tasmania, 3 in the ACT, 1 in the Northern Territory. Go Northern Territory. Um, wow. Wow, that's more. And that's that's likely to be a gross under, underestimate. Oh, my gosh. Underestimate, right? Like this article yeah. that I'm citing is from like for sure five hours ago. Yeah. So like this is the most recent. Yeah, but stat that's the, that I've yeah. managed to find on it. Yeah. That's As still, of the recording, this is the most recent stat we have. Mm. Yeah, but we're not we're not testing everybody. So yeah, that's just confirmed cases. Sure. So the number is going to be far. Yeah, that's far, that's far, the far, concern, far, far, right? Far, far bigger. That's that's what I mean by yeah. you know gross underestimate mm. is that you know the number of confirmed cases that we have is not no. at all indicative I don't think based on the testing criteria that the Australian government currently has in place um, I yeah. don't think yeah. it will be reflective of what's actually going on in the community <laughs> which is 
worrying, um, which which kind of like rolls nicely into this 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 next point of you've mentioned it a few times now, Ellie. Like this flattening of the curve. Like what what does that mean? We hear it a lot. We kind of you know it's a bit of a buzz term at the moment. Flatten <laughs> the curve, <laughs> but it's like like what this curve, is yo? my like, degree. Yeah. in a nutshell, this <laughs> Amazing. is epidemiology. This is what you've been um, training so for. This is the moment. <laughs> this is like seven years of university shine. education. All of um, that hex debt, just for this. Um, okay, so flattening the curve, basically the curve, it's called an epidemic curve. It's a very simple graph. It measures cases over time. So on the y-axis, you have cases, number of cases. Mm-hmm. It can be by scale of 10, 10,000, depends on what you're measuring. And then you have time. You can measure it in years. If you're measuring something like um, HIV, you can measure it in hours. If you're measuring something like, um, uh, I don't know what would be measured in hours. Mm gastrointestinal cases on a cruise ship, um, or you can measure it in days, which is what we're doing. So the epidemic curves that we're talking about are um, the number of cases per day um, in Australia, uh, and it becomes a curve. So it's a little bit flat, it increases, it increases, it gets very, very increased, hits an apex and it goes back down, like a like a bell curve. That's what nice a, a basic... Nice little bell curve, median sum yeah, maths. Yeah, so that's that's what um mm-hmm. a basic epidemic curve looks like. You start with a couple of cases. Um, if it's something like this, it's doubling every one and a half to two or three days, I think. So you see it increase steeply and then it plateaus. So the big issue with um, an epidemic, mm-hmm. um, a tall, narrow curve, so where it hits a lot of cases early, um, within a few days, um, you're overwhelming hospital systems because you've got a lot of cases in a short period of time and there's not enough emergency rooms, not enough ambulances, not enough doctors to treat you. The epidemic curve is, uh, well, it's twofold. It's acknowledging that uh, this virus isn't just a two-week, three-week thing, that it's sort of, it's going to be around for a while. And it's basically saying that what we want is if we're going to have Pick an arbitrary number. If we're going to have 100 cases of this, of any disease, if we're going to have 100 cases, do we want 100 people for one hospital bed or two hospital beds in three days, or do we want to spread those 100 cases out over six weeks so that every day a new person gets sick, someone's recovered, and you're just turning over hospital beds rather than having an overwhelmed hospital system? So that's what it's trying to do. The worst thing that we could have is a very narrow, tall curve, which crosses that threshold line that we've mm. seen. That's basically hospital capacity. What we want to do and that's is what's happening wanna, in Italy, right? That's it's exactly what's happened in Italy. They've had this like mm. huge influx of cases in a very short amount of time, and they don't have the services. What we want is we want to say, okay, we know that X amount of people are probably going to get sick. Let's do social distancing, let's wash our hands so that instead of 100 people getting sick in five days, 100 people get sick in (coughs) six weeks so that if person A gets it, person B gets it, but person C doesn't get it until person A is well and out of the hospital, person C can have person A's bed. We want to have as little pressure on the hospital system as we can and um, the best way to do that is to slow the spread. We're not going to stop the spread. That's what I, I think people need to start understanding is I very, and again, my own opinion, not an opinion of anyone I've ever worked with on my LinkedIn, I definitely think that we can't stop this now, but we can slow it down so that people aren't panic buying, that the supermarkets can catch up with demand and that the hospitals have the time, the energy and the space to deal with the sick people. So that's what flattening the curve is. It's lowering the amount of cases over a bigger period of time. Does that make sense? And that's what these, you know, social distancing measures self-isolation are are for. Flattening the curve. To try stop that rate of spread. There's a really good article, actually, we should link it, where it's got this cute Mm -hmm. little infographic with all the little little blue dots that run into each other. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. And it shows the spread. Yeah, so we'll link that as well. That's very good. It's very hard to put into words. Things like this. Yeah, um, it's a very uh, visual. You did a, a good job. You did a very mm. good job. Thank you. Of, of um, putting that into words. Yeah. And if anyone, you know, who's listening to this would like me to write it down in a succinct paragraph <laughs> rather than rambling words, I'm happy to do that. Um, but, again, the videos are, are really good. Um, so that's what flattening the curve is. We want to extend pretty much we kind of want to extend the outbreak so that we have less people sick at the same time. Mm-hmm. 
And we do so that, that by not touching really each other. that kind of just a really sort of pessimistic approach of like, well, we're all going to get it. Like, we're all going to... I don't think it's pessimistic. I see it as more realistic. I think it's realistic. It's yeah. realistic. Yeah. Well, it's it so is. It's so infectious and it's so... It can be mm. so mild in so many cases that, like, you don't even mm. know you have it. So... You know, I don't know how many times I've had a cold and I've gone to work because it's like I've got a cold. Oh, Obviously, yeah. I'm not doing that with this because if this gets into, you know, my co-workers that are recovering from mm. chemotherapy treatment or, you know, the elderly people in the suite next door getting their, you know, urogenital checked or whatever, you know, the room, who's the next door? The urology services in the office next door. Um you know, they get a cold and that's that still can be bad, but this has been proven to be very mm. bad in, in people who are susceptible. So um, definitely taking this more seriously than a common cold. But I was bad. I'll admit that. when I, I used to work when I was sick and it's not good. Mm. Um, mm. So hopefully this changes just general work attitudes too. But, uh, mm. yeah, so that's flattening the curve. That's kind of what it is. Again, it's a lot easier to see visually. But yeah. um, just don't overwhelm the hospitals. That's the yeah. goal because <laughs> once we overwhelm them, then They've already got their work cut out for them. We've got to do what we can to kind exactly. of lighten the load a bit. And then I guess, exactly. like, yeah. you know, the more that we can delay the majority of people getting this um, or the majority of people that will need treatment, like, you know, maybe we will have developed treatments like maybe we'll develop a vaccine exactly. and exactly. so some people yeah, won't end up having to catch too. it um, or, you know, I've, I've heard about a few different, like, treatment um options mm. that are in trials in various places across the world at the moment and different options yeah. and different phases of testing. But like the reality of like clinical trials for, especially if you're, if you're going for a drug, like a therapeutic drug, there's so Ugh, many phases months. of testing it has to go through. Like it, it yeah. takes a long time to get this stuff out yeah. to people. And so if Absolutely. we can flatten the curve and we can, we can delay, hopefully that, that end, the bulk end chunk of the sick, title yeah. can be like, treated right mm. it, you know exactly yeah and especially or, making sure you know, that the yeah. um people who will have a critical or fatal response to the disease prioritizing that like we make extra sure that they don't get it so like keeping some people out of aged care facilities yeah, exactly. and all, all, mm. all that all that mm -hmm. sort of stuff because if it is yeah. going to be a while before we actually start to see proper treatments and cures and that sort of thing and vaccines mm they're in risk for a, for a little bit of time, for a little chunk of time. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what social isolation does as well. And starting it early, not that, I mean, we probably could have started mm. it earlier, but starting it now means that people better can get used to this quickly. Mm. Exactly. Absolutely better late than never. Probably shouldn't have had the Grand Prix go ahead, but that's a nitpick that I will remember until the day mm. I die. Well, the, the um, AFL's still going ahead, isn't it? Or if they... Yeah, but at least it's a, it's on ghost crowds, so there's yeah. no yeah. people there. Okay. But I mean, like the Grand Prix was crowds, even though it was one day. Like how many they people were up, there? They ended up shutting yeah. off the, I, the yeah. basketball. I think it was the the final game between um, uh, the Wildcats, and I can't remember what the Sydney team was called. Oh yeah, it was in, like in, the, in, yeah, yeah, it was going to be the yeah. final playoff, but then the Sydney team decided to um, pull out because they didn't want to risk going for the flight. Which is um, so spoilers yeah, for fair. anyone who's watching the yeah, basketball absolutely. and also listening to this part podcast i'm sorry um yeah <laughs> yeah i think that's a um a good place to wrap up for um part two um unless yeah. uh, either of you guys have any sure. last little nuggets you want to tack on to the end of this one i just wanted to touch really quickly on um just with some of the more biological mm -hmm. just really quickly with sars with um the incubation period and the isolation period so people are being told to isolate for 14 days because that's sort of like the max incubation period they've seen. So um, the actual incubation period is on average five days. Okay. So you're probably going to see symptoms, but they're making the isolation period that upper end of the estimation mm, just to be really sure that people, people aren't... possible, right? Yeah, yeah. That people aren't going going back out after 10 days thinking, oh, I don't have it, and then they get symptoms on day 12. So that's, that's that. So it's not the incubation period necessarily isn't 14 days um it's likely to be no right. more than 14 days but um the yeah Average what's being is seen five, is, is hey. four to five days yeah. 
So if yeah, you've isolated days. yourself yeah, for absolutely. 14 days and you haven't displayed any symptoms, you could feel like you're reasonably confident that you don't have it. Or you're an asymptomatic carrier and you're going to kill everyone anyway. Well, fuck. <laughs> fuck me. <laughs> no, though, but yeah. Let's in, just all stay so inside exercise, caution. Yeah, exercise, caution. Wash your yeah. hands. I think, you know, I want to be sensible. Just use common exactly. sense, right? And, like, and I, I want to finish this episode. You said it really well, Kate, is um, even if you don't think you have it, let's just all pretend we do. Uh, because then yeah. we're not going to be lax with our hygiene and our spreadability. So I think that's a good, mm. a good mm. message, Kate. Is uh, yeah, pretend you've got it, just and then assume that you have it and act accordingly. And remember that it's not about you. It's not about like, you. You're not self isolating because you're going to. Die. Go out and catch it. You're self-isolating, so you're not passing on to the people who are going to fucking die from it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but we have a whole host of questions. Like, oh my gosh, so many listener questions. So many. Um, so over many that twenty I didn't know. of them. Um, <laughs> yeah, that we're gonna we're gonna. So part three of this episode is gonna be a, a rapid fire of just pummeling through all of your questions. So if that's what you've been hanging out for. Are you going to throw myths at me as well, Kate? Are you going to... Yes. Yeah, we're going to throw some myths. We're going to throw Oof. some um, conspiracy theories, oh, some spicy Boy. conspiracy theories and see, get, catch the live reaction. <laughs> <laughs> I've got one that I'm very excited for. So, oh, you know, no. make sure you guys tune in for that. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Curiosity. Kill the rat.